Welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, glassblower. Join our conversations with professional working artists. Welcome back, artists and artisans. Here we are. It's the podcast, Independent Artist Podcast, back for another week. Douglas, how are you, sir? I'm going to use my usual. I'm good, but I'm actually a little bit run down. Had the COVID booster and my flu shot yesterday. So it's a Ooh. pajama day all day today. So lucky it's not a video podcast. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that knocked me out actually worse. <laughs> I felt worse with the, uh, I, this is like, oh, we're going to get sued. Uh, I, this was my personal experience. It doesn't uh, match up with everybody's, but I felt worse with the vaccine than I did. Um, when you had COVID? The actual virus. So mm. yeah. Wow, that's awful. And I know you got it pretty yeah. bad. You got COVID pretty bad. You were down for the count for a while. Yeah, but uh, the COVID booster was afterwards, and I'm like a goldfish, and I swim around the bowl, and I can't remember the next thing that I've done. So uh, memory is is uh, my enemy, I guess, if you will. <laughs> um, how, how'd your van do while going back home? Did you guys drive okay? Uh, everything everything work out? Everything was good. Are you going somewhere with this? Or hey, I'm going okay. somewhere. It's like Vandemic 23 is, is what uh, we're dealing with. I, I feel like every single person that I've talked to has had car troubles or van troubles, including our, our dear friend Matt Hemminghouse, who had his van stolen. How awful. I mean, he's, it doesn't even drive like a... And this is probably why they nabbed it, because it was easy to hotwire or whatever. Oh, but yeah, right out of the artist parking from between 9 a.m. and 530 when he went back to get it, it uh, somebody nabbed it, went for a joyride. What so. a nightmare to have all your stuff broken down on the street and we just go back to get our van and it's gone. Mm -hmm. And it'd be like, it wouldn't have been towed because it was parked in artist parking. So that goes right to right. it getting stolen. So that I, my heart goes out to him on that one. He ended up piling it all into uh, Michael Cole's van mm -hmm. with him. He has a bigger, bigger truck and they, they go back roughly the same place in Missouri. So um, managed to get a ride back then. But here's my particular troubles. And, and this, I, I refused to talk to you about this on the street because I was so pissed <laughs> I didn't off. think we'd be talking about your truck this week. <laughs> yeah. So when I was on the way, and maybe we'll post this picture because it, it's a crazy, it almost looks like a painting, but it was like mm, eight o'clock in the morning. The sun should have been well up mm -hmm. and it is night dark mm -hmm. outside with those that inky, like, ominous sky and i drove my truck like through the dark burgundy red to get to kansas city from santa fe like the way the front was limed up oh my god i drove three and a half hours which was the remainder of my trip that morning in the burgundy right mm -hmm. and i'm dealing with hail and wind it's pushing me all over the road uh windshield wipers i mean it's 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 a nasty storm and i didn't think too much of it other than the fact that you know that sucked until i got to the show and i start chugging my truck is just like oh. and it started getting a a exhaust system alert which okay. same exhaust system that alert that i had when i had my catalytic converter ripped out oh yeah. somebody had sawed that sucker out but it's the same warning right. so i'm like it's a bad converter because i just looked at it because you know OCD. Yeah, right. Is it still there? Is <laughs> right, it still right. there? Yeah. <laughs> Just before. Yeah. How about now? How about so? Uh, I took it to a mechanic. Uh, God love Sharon Spiller for for being. Uh, I was like, 
Sharon, you live in Kansas City. Who's a good mechanic? Oh, Hook right. Me good. Guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I called him. He shifted me up to somebody else because I have diesel. Went to these guys and they're like, they bring back my air filter. He's like, I think we found the problem. Yeah. I had so much water in the, I mean, the cars are designed to be able to drive through rain folks, yeah. but there was so much water uh, coming into my intake and just blowing up under the hood that my air filter got completely soaked and sucked into the oh. intake. So oh my um, God. too heavy. It got way too heavy and just sucked right in there. So he pulls out this mangled spitball of an air filter. He's like, well, Looked pretty clean. It's not your fault, but um. Anyway, got a new air filter. Got home. But that um, sounds like over. it was a. Even though it was worrisome, it seemed like a pretty quick fix. Yeah, easy fix. But you know, those. I don't know how you are with those twelve-hour drives. I'm a huge. I don't know. Once it gets dark, I can't see that well. Yeah, no, I can't see anymore. I know. Uh, so yeah, you know, starting the trip at ten a.m. as opposed to seven a.m. and I, I wasn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um. And getting to fall, we have these shorter days. So Hmm. end of summer, end of fall drives tend to be shorter days on the road than when we're, you know, we got sunlight till late. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Well, hey, you coined a phrase this weekend now when I (laughs) heard through the grapevine that there's a new Will Armstrong-ism. Can you talk about this? productive zero or useful zero something in regards it's like fuck that fuck that (laughs) (laughs) there was nothing productive about that zero (laughs) no there was nothing productive about it you ever have a bad night and you're at the end you know opening night happens at plaza it's five to ten it's like i I did bad like zero sales Okay. okay but like everybody that i talked to or i talked to all the people that i felt like i was going to sell to you for the rest of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that was, you know, I did my work, you know, I laid the groundwork and I was talking to Jeff Zachman about that. And I, I said, yeah, it was like a, yeah, it was a zero, but it felt like a productive zero. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he laughed and he's like, yeah, yeah, it was a productive zero tonight. And I, I talked to him later in the weekend. He was like, that zero was not productive. Was nothing productive that, about that was it. not a productive zero. That was just a regular old shitty zero. Oh, bummer. So, God. But uh, whatever, I don't want to hear your sympathies. We all take our lumps, right? We do take them. That's true. We we absolutely do. Know. So I did fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mediocre. Yeah, but some people did great. Mm-hmm. Some people did whatever. But it's like any show. How many shows? Right? Any show. Yeah, we sometimes yeah. are heroes or losers or in somewhere in between. So whatever. You just called me a loser. Yeah. It's not cool. Yeah, sorry, man. Just, you're just a huge loser. Not cool. I don't know. How many bad shows in a row does it take until you're just, you spiral into, um, I saw. Well, for you, it's one and a half, right? One. Typically one. <laughs> one. <laughs> one dip at the well. I'm like, nope. I'm, my work is passe. The industry has passed me by. Nobody thinks I'm young and cool anymore. I suck. Well, uh, we had a situation I wanted to talk about. It's kind of funny. We had a couple of sales that were in the rain, but people didn't want to, they, they were like, we didn't have any way to get it home. Can you please bring it on Monday? And that's a lot of times it's part of our discussion with people is, mm-hmm. yes, we'll we'll deliver it. We'll hang, whatever. So we have the pieces in the booth for the whole weekend with nice enticing red dots on them. But then it's like everywhere we turn, there's like either drunk people waving their hands around or kids. Oh, and suddenly we become yeah. extremely paranoid that these pieces that we were happy to sell might not end up 
going back to the the place where they're going to go because they could get broken. So we had a little bit of a yeah, nerve wrack on that one. It doesn't belong to you anymore at that point. It's theirs. So you're like, oh, yeah. God, I've got somebody else's super expensive thing in my, my booth. It's weird because, you know, we're used to handling glass and moving it around. But suddenly after it's sold, the value kind of sinks in like it's been given to you and then you might have to give it back. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a whole different right. feeling. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, you know what I started doing? And I'm not alone at this, mm -hmm. but um, when, when I don't feel like doing the deliveries, mm -hmm. I say, well, they're they're trying to negotiate it. And I was like, I always pitch them. Hey, I've got an idea. Why don't I take it back to my hotel? I'll wrap it up tight and leave it with a bellman. You can pick it up at your leisure. You mm -hmm. don't have to come back into the art show. Mm -hmm. And they're like, done. Because yeah, that's a good you know, way to you do made it. your purchases, you don't typically want to come back. Yeah, so. totally. That's a good plan. Man, uh, I don't know about you this weekend, but I got another great neighbor Whenever we're next to the Graces, Keith and Sherry Grace, we have just a fantastic time, not necessarily just with the sales, but with, you know, the camaraderie that they make for a really great yeah. neighbor. I love those guys. They're really, really sweet people. They, I ran into them at the coffee shop. So, mm. yeah. But it made me think about, so we had set up our booth where, you know, we're 10 by 10 in a 12 by 12 space, and we spread ours apart from each other. So we were kind of like our alleyway was shared and we could sit and talk the whole weekend. Perfect. Yeah. But then I... It, and what he's talking about is, he, you know, if Keith and Sherry slid to the left, Doug and Renee mm -hmm. slid to the right, makes a four foot, almost gives you a, a, a corner. For sure. Uh, there, I did the same thing with my neighbors. Cool. Well, it made me think about how much I enjoyed spending the weekend with them. And then I thought to myself, are there ever the cases out there in art fair land where... We don't want to be that up close and personal with our neighbors. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Almost most of the time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like the other, all the other times. All the other times, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get you because like uh, I was lucky enough to be able to share space, you know, that little alleyway in St. Louis with Michael Cole. Mm. And um, it just kind of was like a weekend long conversation. That's cool. And um, but at the same time, yeah, I don't typically, you know, I love to be able to 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 dip in, talk to the neighbor and, and dip back out. And as long as you've got like the guy that or you just say guy unisexually, uh, just <laughs> those guys, <laughs> amb ambigenderly, <laughs> um, I just was like, you know, as long as you have the person that understands the conversation, right. That makes me insane when you've got the neighbor that kind of wants to follow you around mm. and talk and even into a sale. I, I'm, I've been known to, to physically push people. <laughs> oh, really? Just push, push, you get out, push. That's that's a good point because I, I did notice like whenever Keith or Sherry would turn their head to look in their booth or if I ever turned to look back into our booth, it's like conversation done. We could pick it up later. It's yep. like customers first. They're pros. But have you ever had a situation where the neighbor that you were next to is a little bit of a nightmare that you might want to talk about? Because <laughs> I do. Oh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, I've had, um, super unpleasant, uh, awning right in the middle of my piece, cigar chomping, smoking guy. Mm. I've had him, you know, running his mouth, mm. which is never pleasant. Yeah. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't understand the conversation or, or even worse, if you, if they have a spiel where they repeat the spiel mm. over, I mean, everybody's got their spiel. Right. And I'm sure people have gotten sick of hearing me run my mouth, but uh, I remember this one guy, you know, the, just just the repetitive neighbor is what kills me. I know you're chomping at the bit there. You got a story. Yes, I do. <laughs> so there was a one situation, worst, worst interaction of my life. And 
I show up to my booth. We set up the day before, and the person who was our neighbor was setting up that morning. So I show up, and whatever they had going on, I'm sure they had a lot of other stresses that really didn't have anything to do with me. But at some point in the rolling up the sides and putting our work out, this person was like started hollering at me. <laughs> what? I, I, I'm sure I did something to upset them. I wasn't clear in the moment yeah. what it was. A lot of stuff that seemed like it was being aimed at some other person in, in their life. But they, they just got so upset. And Keith Herbrand and Glenn Woods would probably remember this like it was yesterday, even though it was like 20 years ago. They were the other side of me, and they were literally doing the open wide look. <laughs> like, I can't believe this is happening. It's like a big, massive fight or whatever. Then all weekend long, whenever this exhibitor had a friend come in their booth, I got so paranoid because they'd be looking my way. And I'd be like, Ugh. so I had to relive it the entire weekend, this whole scene. Bizarre. It was totally bizarre. Totally. Yeah, I had to, I, I carry extra propanels in my, in my uh, truck. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a one. It was at um. Gosh, what was it? Was the show Third Street portion of of St. James? Oh. And they give you a ton of room. Everybody's kind of got a got a cornerish area. Or I did. I don't remember exactly what it yeah. was, but I I took my pro panels and I built a little box. I didn't even have. I mean, it was so obvious. I didn't have any artwork on it <laughs> at all. But he was one of these uh, must be nice neighbors, oh. and he's like, must be nice to have a, a coffee. I was like, yeah, I, I bought it. Right. Like, like you would, you know? Yeah. Oh, where'd you get that sandwich? I was like, from the sandwich store, you idiot. Go get your own sandwich. I'm like, I'm doing my thing. Right. And uh, my neighbor, uh, <laughs> my neighbor Bruce could tell how insane I was getting. <laughs> he follows me to the bathroom and I'm in the bathroom or the porta john. Yeah. He comes up to the porta john and whispers in your must be nice to take a dump. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's your nauseating banner for for this week. Well, you lucky you have the ability to build yourself a cubicle. You know what I mean, and, mm. and just shut out. Oh, I'll, shut about. I'll build that wall. Yeah, <laughs> I'm about to sail. Sorry, sorry, buddy. Oh, yeah, it great. was an interesting show. I I thought you know uh, our good friends Amy and Phil, Amy Flynn, uh, one of their, their they had a tribute artist there, but it was not the same tribute artist. It was a tribute artist of the tribute artist. So oh, it's like. Really? Uh, yeah, it was, well, it was it once was not, removed. <laughs> right. So uh, like how low can you go bots? I guess if, if you want, it was not a good scene. I kind of like, like, wow, those are the designs of the previous ripoff artist. It was kind of like a game of telephone. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they didn't need to worry about those particular artists. They were just getting once more removed. It uh, means, uh, shittier and shittier yeah, if you will there so, you go sorry about that they they don't know who i'm talking about well you know um amy said in her uh, episode earlier this year that the copycats spurred her on so i i wonder if the reverberations you know down the line if they're, <laughs> like, if they're spurring her on too <laughs> yeah you know what i said about that one bullshit Bull um, you call I, bullshit <laughs> i could see bill was spurned on i could see he was he was pretty pretty uh pretty spurred on if you will oh. Just one of those scenes you run into, and it never—I don't know—we've all run into that kind of thing, whether it's a somebody breaking the rules or whatever. But the right. more you talk to them or talk about it, it just shakes you off your game. So mm -hmm. hopefully, those guys were able to focus and and have a good show. All right, somewhere um, out there, uh, Dylan Straczynski just took a drink. Will just so you know, <laughs> well, that's okay. Jay, I'm, I'm here for your liver, Dylan. <laughs> hey, so we. This is something that. 
is kind of interesting for art show artists. And I actually saw it brought up on one of the forums recently. And as artists, do you ever find that, you know, our, our acquaintances in our world who aren't artists, maybe like family or friends who aren't artists, that if you use the phrase, I need to go to work or I'm, I'm ready to go to work and they look at you like, oh, you got a job? You know what I mean? Like they, they don't understand what yeah. it means when we say we have to work. Absolutely. I mean, the beauty of our, our job is that we can take our time off when we like Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can be flexible, but uh, it is it has to be a job. I mean, more, the reality is we end up working a lot more than your typical 40 hour week. For sure. You know, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I've developed a pretty, pretty good persona there. People just treat me like, like you're a banker. I, my wife runs a, a very nice screen for me. Oh, good. I, she's like, don't go out there. Don't talk to him. Don't, I'm sorry. Th- I'm sure they think I'm just a huge weirdo, but. Um, yeah. She takes, I think, the most of the fire on that one. Sometimes the family just thinks that because we work in our studio that we can drop anything and just, Ugh. you know what I mean? And and, and that right. that's something we're very familiar with. And it is a little bit difficult sometimes to explain, well, I'm working. I'm in the middle of something right now. I can't just like put something down and take a break or whatever. Right. I mean, with you guys, it's especially, you know, you can sacrifice a piece if somebody just comes knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I can forget where I am mentally on my line quality and, and mm-hmm. lose lose the thread on that. Um, you know, another thing, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but there was some podcast, I'll have to try to find the name of it, where the people were saying that it takes a good, once you've been interrupted mm-hmm. by something, it takes you 20 minutes, like a 20 solid minutes to get your focus back. And you know, especially mm-hmm. as an artist and, and dealing with that, you've got to draw pretty, pretty firm boundaries. I, I solve a lot of that by telling people that I work in the nude <laughs> and nobody's trying to see that. <laughs> like, oh, God, you don't know, go anywhere near that one. That's nope. not be like, knock, knock. And you're like, oh, God, no, who's <laughs> coming to the door? <laughs> so nobody wants to. You could, you know, so there's your um, just tell them that, folks. Tell That's them, yeah. that'll keep them away. Mm-hmm. Most people, unless well, really the bad people, the bad, yeah. creepy people coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's bad. <laughs> so uh, I've had the pleasure uh, of being neighbors with these lovely folks more at more shows than I can count. It almost seems like they've been I I feel like at a, since I met them, uh, they've been within walking, you know, dif- distance, a few sh- few booths away, like 40 yeah. percent of the shows that I've done. And mm. I couldn't think. More highly of this uh, couple as as artists and and uh, friends and just good humans. Well, tell the people who you're talking about. Will. Oh no, it's a secret. It's this a... is just a generic uh, <laughs> a, a opening, and I don't even know who I'm going to interview next. It's one of those shows. No, we'll spin. It's... We'll spin the 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 dial and see who comes up. <laughs> That's right. It's it's Mick and Paige Whitcomb. Love those guys. They're both artists. Yeah. Um, photographer. Uh, Paige is a photographer. Mick is a found object artist, and. Uh, Definitely falls into the vein of of um, almost like creating a space and creating an installation for his yeah. booth. And we we were trying to come up with names of other artists that created installations right. when we had Joaquim on. Um, I've already started. I've already fallen back to pronouncing his name how I want to. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, honestly, I have to because <laughs> it just yeah, sounds. He knows wrong. who we're talking about. Yeah, right. And you do too. <laughs> I do so, too. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, just ha- and having Mick and Paige uh, Wickham on uh, the show has has been something that I've wanted to do because I've had so much fun talking to them in the past. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this. 
And isn't Paige on fire these days? She's been getting top awards at top shows. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear what you guys talk about in your talk. She, her booth looked incredible at Cherry Creek. She won Best in Show mm. uh, across the board. It was the first time they've given a Best in Show, not in category, but overall. And they gave that to her for mm. um, for her work at, in Park City. Which which Mick promptly stole and hung in his booth because it didn't put a name on it. So he, just, he says it's mine. He gave, he, yeah, that's that's who we're dealing with, folks. All right, enjoy this talk. This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap, the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. Hey, Will, do you remember the old way of doing these applications with red dots on the slides and self-addressed stamped envelopes? Do you uh, still have a rotary phone, Douglas? No, I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just like that they were with us back then when we made the switch from analog to digital. It's a huge switch, and now Zap is the industry standard. And they're always creating features that make our lives easier, too. So I do like what Zap does, and I do like that most of the shows I apply to are on Zapplication. Exactly. So I personally appreciate what Zap is doing, and thanks for not making us reinvent the wheel every single week like we used to have to do. Hey, everybody. We have a call to entry this week, and it's from the show Artisphere in Greenville, South Carolina. My wife and I both exhibited there last year, and as I I've said before in the past, this show is aggressively friendly. Uh, I've never had the show take such good care of the artists. The show runs from May 10th through the 12th. That's Mother's Day weekend in 2024. And isn't it a great event for mothers? I mean, doesn't that bring out the crowd for Mother's Day? It always does. I've always found that to be the case. People go to brunch and they bring mom to the show and get her a little something to take home. Doesn't mean you can't sell big artwork there for uh, homes as well. I I found myself selling large originals and always having a really good time. And I do love the size of it. I mean, they keep the exhibitor count reasonable. So it feels like it's the right amount for the community, everybody has an opportunity to do well. It definitely is one of these events that has more artists wanting to exhibit than uh, have the space. I mean, I feel like there's there's definitely some people left out in the cold on that one. So get your application and it's just around the corner here. It is next week. So on October 9th is the last day to apply. So don't miss this application. I got to get back on to Zap and do it myself. Me too, actually. So jump on this, people. Get on there and apply. We are here with the with the Whitcomb family. You guys are are in um, what part of Missouri are you in? We live in the Ozarks, but specifically Springfield. Nice, uh, one of the many Springfields around the country. One of uh, every state has a Springfield, right? I've learned that from the Simpsons. I think so. I was very disappointed to find out. Uh, somebody told me at a show that the guy that did the Simpsons announced that Springfield, Oregon, was the specific Springfield from the Simpsons. So we can't really just like claim to be one of the possibilities for this. I don't think that. Uh, Simpsons yeah, I don't think that can be true. They seem so midwestern, right? I'm mean, just yeah, like central. I'll, I, I'd like to hope it's we're not like, yeah. True. I mean, it would be worse news to hear they were from Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Offense intended uh, to any Indiana listeners. You know how horrible it is. So let's get started. Uh, jump right into this thing. Who? got into art festivals first like which one of the two of you guys uh i started doing them first yeah i remember i met you at cherry creek uh one year you were unloading that that your gigantic truck and had a big double booth <laughs> um i think or even earlier because i met your 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 blind dog blue yeah he's Did downstairs you? awesome that's i love that yeah. dog that's oh yeah blue's still chugging away so um you guys are is your background in in art mick 
Is that did that start? No, mine's not. My uh, my degree is in business, and I think it really didn't even start post that. Like Paige and I, we were in in Southeast Asia for a couple of years and kind of got into manufacturing out there. Rewind. So okay, I, I gotta hear. Okay, let's start there. That's that's where we want to start right there. <laughs> what what puts the Whitcombs in? How do you guys get together? Let's start with that. How about that? Oh, Dave, let me get this one. I knew this was going to happen. I was like, he's going to ask. And Mick has a very fantastical story of how things happen that I don't know is entirely accurate. That's the kind of story I like. (laughs) That is all of my stories. Um, Will, you probably already know this one. But so Paige and I, we were were both in, in college together. We both went to Missouri State. And I am two years older than Paige. So your your listeners might be surprised to hear that I was a bit fratty back in my uh, <laughs> my youth so so uh some of my buddies and I we would schedule like to graduate you have to have whatever 25 gen ed classes or whatever it winds up being and so rather than taking them all your freshman and sophomore year like the dummies in the uh college world would do we would schedule wait one mac this is not <laughs> We had an agreed upon college story, and this is not the agreed. Uh, is this the better no, this one? Is a good one? Which one's this better? Is a good one. I want to know. I want no. the best one. No, no, no. Uh, so... I do not want all of your listeners to know this version of events. Because... <laughs> okay. So right. I would schedule one class with my my buddy Tyler. And Mac, I'm serious. Don't. <laughs> God, already, I'm like already editing. Yeah, she's gonna oh, make geez. us cut it anyway. Um, well, we had, okay, so we had a class together in college and, uh, and I, I suppose the, the diluted version of it is my buddy Tyler was sitting next to Paige in class and I, uh, had a, a way of kind of convincing him to, to drop out so I could do the seat to the side and put the moves on Paige. And that's where it all kind of began in terms of the romance, I suppose. So this is the say anything version versus like the Porky's version that, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's the on camera and the off camera version right. of uh, of my uh, college pickup lines. All right, Paige, what's your version? No, that's a fine version. We'll go with that one. <laughs> ah, all right. Like I said before, this I said I know Will is going to ask how we met, and we have to agree that you will not go off on a tangent of something that may or may not be true. Okay. Okay. So this is an okay. This is an acceptable all version right. See, of this. The thing that wasn't true is that I was fratty in my youth. I have been, oh. you know, quiet and uh Oh, he's so shy. Understated my entire <laughs> life. I think the first time I hung out with you guys, you asked uh the the server to bring you whatever largest vessel would carry um the your beer choice. It was like, <laughs> like whatever. So we were talking about like, well, what what could it be? Whether it be like just wheel out a mop bucket. Uh, <laughs> drink out I of think, it. Um, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, sure. I you offered me. Uh, I don't know. I you're always you're always there for for offering a, a, whether it's a, a lukewarm beer or a, a cold one. However, you got it. You're always yeah. always the generous, generous neighbor. Guy. Absolutely, you yeah. are. So <laughs> you guys met in Missouri State. Is that what you said? Yep. Right. Yeah. What do you What were you got? You mixed study in business. Paige, what are you studying? Um, at the time, I was studying English literature. Okay, very cool. And did you change yeah. that through the middle? Or I did. Well, so Mick mentioned we lived in Indonesia for two years, yeah. and Mick was two years older than I am. So 
when he graduated, I was offered the opportunity to go with him overseas. So I did. And I stopped going to school for four years total. And then I um, came back when I was an adult after we had done a few things. But when I came back, I started with English Lit again. And then I switched to art history because I found that's what I enjoyed a lot more. It's still writing, but writing about artwork, which was more interesting for me. Yeah, that is what took you guys to Indonesia. So he had an opportunity over there. Yeah. So when when I was in college, um, my dad, he uh, he owned a a private security company in a little um, Southeast Asian island called East Timor. They were formerly Indonesian, but they, they got their independence and that resulted in some negative things. So he he wound up going over there with that company. And then I would work kind of in summers and go over there for three months a year, helping out uh, with those operations. So that's what, you know, first kind of exposed me to the area. But then once I got out of school, um, I had spent some time in Bali just for sanity breaks while, while I was working out there. And I mean, you know, in terms of being, you know, 21, having no responsibility, Bali is a pretty fun place to do it. So, right. we, uh, yeah, we kind of took the opportunity. We moved the day after I graduated. And, you know, we were over there basically off and on for about two years. And that's where we first, you know, kind of started to dabble in in manufacturing. It was initially surfboards and then kind of fed into, you know, other kind of lifestyle products and resulted in us opening a couple of retail stores in Springfield. Cool. That's how we got into art shows, which we both made different kinds of things and had them in our store and we did our local art show, which is called Arts Fest on Walnut Street. Yeah. And we were next to some art show artists and they said, oh, where are you from? And we said here. And and they looked at mixed work and they said, do you do this all the time? Or are you just doing it because you're in Springfield and it's a yeah. local show? And we were just doing it at the time because it was local. And they told us about this whole art show industry that we had no idea existed until somebody opened that door for us. So yeah. We're still very grateful for those people for telling us about it. Do you remember who they were? You ever see them again? I have seen them, but not um, at an art show. I saw them at their gallery, which is in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I'm okay. sure I could figure out what yeah, their names no, that's, were. That's really, really cool. wonderful people. Yeah. 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 We, um, that, and even with that, like, I didn't know that there was like an application portal for shows. We just, our store was four blocks down the road. And, you know, we were part of the arts council and everything. So we just said that we were going to, you know, set up a tent there and they're like, all right. And, uh, and I mean, we had like t-shirts and soaps and, you know, selling all the different products that we sold in our right. stores. And then, uh, and then the, the lighting was kind of what I did as like a, you know, a sanity break. You know, we were selling the halter tops to college students. So yeah. I kind of lost interest in what we were doing with the store and started, you know, getting into the the lighting and, you know, my collections of the objects that I build from um, as kind of a distraction from that. So, you know, he said, you're going to, you're going to have to ditch the the candles and the incense burners, but these things, you know, what, what I do artistically might work out all right in this world. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah. So it starts from like a, a store standpoint, just kind of seeing one of these, I mean, every show kind of has, some kind of festival and it's got buy sell and it's got this and it's got that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. like Susie and I always joke about like, when we go up to Minnesota, there's this little 
um, Phelps Mill show. And we, you know, we look at that show and like with the caliber of it and like, we just kind of want to grind it and be like, not show my work, <laughs> but like, just do like driftwood lake puns, you know, and just be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I could definitely do this, you know, and just kind of, man, I just want to <laughs> see if I can. You know, like we know how to do what we're doing. So that kind of opens up this other thing like, man, I wonder if I could, uh, you know, there's a show that I do in Chicago that's kind of, you know, I've talked about it before, but I don't want to now I'm going to bad mouth it. So I don't want to name it by name, but (laughs) you could just you feel like you could just sell whatever, you know, you could just make gift shop. But um, we've seen at other shows, you know, like some of the, 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 you know, kind of more rough around the edges ones that we've we've participated with over the years and there are products that we were sourcing out of you know thailand and indonesia malaysia different products that we were importing into the states and selling through our stores and others yeah but those artisans from those countries we should right yeah yeah we're just carrying all kinds of different product lines but i'll be at a show and I know exactly, you know, what this is, what region it's from. And like, we've experienced all of those things. It's just branded under, you know, Tim Stevenson or some like some person at the Somebody's show. Name. It's kind of, yeah, yeah kind of funny to, to see uh, who's <laughs> representing. If Tim Stevenson is a real artist, I'm sorry, that was a fake <laughs> ma- name that I was using. This was not directed at you. All characters on the Independent Artist Podcast that have been made up are not based on real characters. So. Uh, it is, uh, but the first the first show that I ever applied to on Zap, like after this gentleman kind of told us that, you know, we might be able to make uh, some money doing shows, uh, the first show I ever got into was the St. Louis Art Fair. And I might have told you this story in the past, but... Yeah. So I applied, I got in, which, you know, in hindsight is absolutely remarkable. Well, you know, it is and it isn't. I mean, I feel like a lot of times when people, um, I, I had real remarkable luck the first time out of the, out of the gate with my body of work. And it, it just has to be like, people just haven't seen it before. So I'm sure yeah. you were, you were something unique. And when you applied, you might not, you know, you might be embarrassed by what that application looked like now. But at the same time, when you were there, people are like, whoa, what? what is yeah, this yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah so i did that and i didn't really know one show from the other it's just that's really the closest one to us in springfield sure um and then i had applied to another show which i won't say what it is but it uh, I told this, him before this if no you tell the story you cannot <laughs> say the names i already got in trouble <laughs> for the tim stevenson thing um so i got into this other show and i saw the email that they sent out for show b and, uh, and it said average artist sales was like $3,000 for the weekend. And so, you know, I, I get on the phone and I, I called Cindy Lyric, um, because I, of course I figured that the director would want to talk to me personally. And, uh, <laughs> right. I said, Hey, you know, I'm kind of new to the industry and I was accepted into your show, but I just wanted to apologize. I'm not going to be able to attend because I saw this other show. Average artist sales is. $3,000 a week or whatever the, the thing happened to be. And uh, she was incredibly kind and, and laughed at me and informed me that <laughs> I probably wanted to cancel show B and uh, that I'd do, you know, real well at St. Louis. And I did. And, and that was, you know, the, the money that we made there was kind of the turning point to where we realized selling in larger urban centers across the country would be far more lucrative than through retail stores yeah. in Springfield. We ended up closing our store, I think, three months later. We made all the plans to start doing this professionally. 
and full time. Right. And and then we closed the store after a couple months and we never looked That's back. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that gallery pace versus the the pace of shows. It's almost like shows are um I mean, I see why people wanna do it. I see why people wanna cheat too. You know, it's like, well, it's almost like these shows are uh Christmas at the at the mall in the nineties. You know, and the yeah. mall is kicking and it's like the last week before Christmas, there's an urgency. We're only there for a weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes with a with a high level. So I I get it. And it's also, you know, what you're ta- talking about is is similar to, you know, why people don't want to do galleries and why they don't want to sit there. The energy is a lot, lot different. But would you ever want to go back to that, like open up something else or is that? I don't know that we ever will. There's a lot of temptation for me just because... Like with what I try to do with with my booth display, like I, I really love kind of creating an entire like environment, kind of placing people in this this world of the past. I think that yeah. helps people kind of absorb the you know the stories that I try to tell, you know, with with what I do artistically. Right. So I'm kind of burdened by the fact that you know we have to be able to you know erect it and break it down in you know three day increments or two day increments sometimes. Yeah. So does that affect the, the shows that you do, like what you'll what you are willing to do, like the morning setups or just a two day uh, show? Are you only looking for for longer ones? Or are you willing still to to do these these short shows? No, I do them all. I mean, we're just yeah gluttons for for punishment and pages in considerably better shape than I am. So she usually pulls the weight in terms of setup and breakdown. But uh, I mean, we do like we've done a bunch of the Florida shows with the morning setups, and it's never ideal, but you know, we're usually able to to get through it. But if I did, like we had a longer term installation, even if it was like quarterly pop-ups or something, we have so many remarkable things just in our collections and showrooms. And, you know, we can bring our, our you know, nicer leather bound books and, you know, some of the really remarkable decorative objects to kind of frame the theme and the time period of yeah. the pieces that we build from in terms of the actual artwork. We were talking um, a couple, uh, was it this season or last season? I can't remember. I was talking to Joaquin and he does an installation. You know, his mm-hmm. his booth is Joaquin Neal and he'll he'll do the, the installation we've all seen. And we were trying to come up with other artists that do kind of installations. And you create kind of, um, if I'm if I'm pitching your booth to a show, then I'm like, it kind of gives a visual break between the white tents. Do it's like this installation where you're walking past and you're like, whoa, here here's this shop. Mm-hmm. Here's this like apothecary shop almost like this kind of uh I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say that because it kind of sounds like maybe an insult, but um not not steampunk uh at all, but it, definitely this kind of like take you back in time, but right. there's a modern flair to it as well. So Yeah, um, and I think that that is, you know, even if it weren't just, you know, my work specifically, but there are a few artists that, you know, kind of cater to a more industrial theme and, you know, yeah. you know, there will be, you know, a couple of steampunk artists at the shows as well. But even for people that really, you know, aren't drawn to what I do artistically or, you know, some of those, I do think just that that visual break that you were talking about can kind of serve all of the artists pretty well because, you know, when you get back to, you know, whatever ones that being you know, more vibrant colors or contemporary work, you're a little bit more receptive 
to it, you know, because yeah. you've got the whatever that little leafy stuff they serve with sushi, you know, cleanses your palate. <laughs> <laughs> you are the ginger in the in the grocery <laughs> store I'm, sushi pack. I'm the art show ginger, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Well, somebody told me whenever we were first getting into this industry how important it is to have that something about your work that causes people to break their focus and focus on your work itself. And mm-hmm. somebody said, even having like a rug down or how people have tiles, something that's tactile that right. causes people to hyper-focus on your work and not all the surrounding things. And so I think yeah. Mike does a really good job at that, at taking people's focus and centering it on what he is trying to showcase. Yeah. And you're, it's, um, and we're, we're kind of hanging on Mick and, oh, and um, cause he started, but I, I did, like I, I was talking to Paige about um, a, a jury and it was a show like you had said, I wish Mick could talk to people about his work and explain like everything that goes through it so that they would understand. It's like, well, hell, this is the opportunity. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, here you go. Talk to everybody. Um, what is it about your work that I mean, how are you? I mean, I know it's a very considered like what the objects that you are looking for. Tell me, tell me about your work. Like what, what goes into it and the creation of it and, and what your thought process is behind it. Yeah. I, um, I actually like, and I might've told you this before, but I've always, I mean, I, I love your work kind of visually, but with what you do in terms of storytelling, you know, you have these, yeah. th- these characters and then the different, you know, surroundings and like whatever you pick up in terms of the, the nuance of the, the images kind of fill in kind of the, the context of what their stories may have been or that's you know one of the things right. that i've i've kind of felt viewing it and that's that's kind of what i try to do sculpturally you know you have these objects of the past and you know whether that's a, a sextant or a microscope or a telescope or regardless of what it is um right. but you know there's a tremendous you know history to the objects and then you've got technologies of the past whether that's you know edison's designs behind the incandescent bulb or or tesla's designs behind alternating current and you know I, I try to kind of pair the two to you know to kind of shine a light on um you know this kind of lost generation of objects you know historically kind of the origin of of modern industry but functionally right. you know pieces that are that are obsolete today so it's it's more you know kind of narrative than it is just you know attractive things on a shelf but that kind of you know, abstraction that you get in terms of altering, you know, what are essentially just antiques and reworking them into something that has a hair more utility naturally kind of draws attention to the, to the pieces. And once, you know, once you kind of get the, the wheels turning in your head about, you know, recognizing that you have, you know, an object that is not quite right. And you're kind of wondering, you know, where the lighting comes into play you start to reflect a, a hair more on, you know, what the object was or what it's become. And, you know, those stories are, you know, what I really enjoy pitching people on and talking to people about, and you can kind of fill in the gaps in terms of what you're more drawn to and, you know, imagining the characters that would have experienced them through the years. Right. You've got, it's funny that you say that. And, and I wonder if that's when, um, why we've been neighbors so often. Too, when you're putting a show together, it's like these kind of stories that I'll play with the past and the present and 
um, tell out of focus kind of narratives. And um, I think you do the same thing. If you've ever been next to Mick, uh, he's he's constantly talking and engaging with people and talking about the history of these objects. And then there's something about the presentation of that and the way you're you're putting your lights into it and, and running new electricity through these pieces and kind of just telling a, a, a different narrative that kind of creates its own um, own space, its own space and time. Um, yeah, that's the always the goal. And it's fun too, you know, because I do have people that, you know, are just kind of drawn to them at the surface level. You know, they've got kind of an industrial design in their loft apartment and they like things that are, you know, cast iron or they, you know, they have the Edison bulbs as kind of a design theme, but those are never the, the sales that I, I really enjoy. The, the conversation right. that I enjoy is when, you know, you've got a, uh, retired surgeon and you know their entire career has been a linear growth of you know lister's 1860s discovery of germ theory and there's one very specific microscope that lister used um with all of his you know research and you know it's kind of the, the turning point from you know amputation-based medicine to investigation-based medicine and um, natural history to medical applications for the, the compound microscope. So when you can kind of pair those two and you can kind of connect, you know, the object with, you know, the, the individual, it's, it's a very fun thing, you know, and then when he's sitting down and pouring himself a, you know, a glass of scotch at night, you know, he's got this physical object that kind of represents, you know, what he has chosen in terms of, you know, livelihood or interest or whatever it might be. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it becomes kind of part of, um, I mean, certain jewelers, uh, they sell something and it becomes part of their own um, their own style, their own character. You know, it becomes yeah. like a signature piece. Um, I, I can see you selling signature signature pieces to a room, kind of kind of transformative pieces to a room um, as far as that kind of stuff goes. Uh, did you always you were creating these pieces like even when you were doing like as a side thing as you, you created your first kind of shop? Uh, is that right? Just like as, as background stuff or were you selling them? Initially, because it started with kind of our collections of the object. We were like kind of just generally collecting scientific innovations from the 19th century for a little while. So I think it was more just a distraction from, you know, something that I didn't enjoy professionally. So I was just right. kind of tinkering with things for the, you know, the the sake of passing time. And I think that's when I first started to build a concept, you know, started to yeah. figure out where I was going to go with the things culturally. So I don't know when we started selling them necessarily. It was while we still had the store open, but um, it was right. probably deep into a bunch of really, really crummy versions of something that didn't become the, <laughs> the body work. That I do today. <laughs> well, I think your right. scope has changed too, because Initially, you were inspired by different scientific and mechanical instruments. And as you've been doing this work, your scope has changed to a specific time period and a specific mm -hmm. quality of instrument, too. Yeah. Yeah. And that is one of the things that is really helpful with what I do is because I've always had just kind of the same margins. And that started to make sense for me when we had our retail stores, because, it, you know, the, the criticism that you get is like, you know, why is this? $3,000 and that one is $1,000. And for me, yeah. it becomes very simple because I, you know, I bought that one for $2,000 and I bought this one for $600. It's the, the margins right. are the same with everything that I deal in. So if there ever is, 
you know, any criticism or interest in the, the price point, you know, it's, it's very transparent. You know, I say, well, you know, I, I feel the same way. We were at auction and I was bidding on, you know, this telescope and I wanted to get it for 1500 bucks and then it's $2,000 and it's $2,500 and now it's a very expensive piece. So, yeah. Um, that is one of the things that's kind of fun about dealing in found objects is when we're doing shows to where we need to accommodate a lower price point, all build from, you know, objects that are less notable historically, things that are not quite as complete in terms of the condition. And then when we're right. doing, you know, really high end shows to where there's, a, you know, a, a demographic that is, you know, receptive to those higher price points, I can go nuts. You know, like I, I've got <laughs> remarkable right. pieces of history. And I don't have to, you know, I don't have any insecurity about what the, the price point might be. I can build from, you know, ticker tapes and, you know, 18th century mm. observation telescopes and these things that are usually priced, you know, higher than, than what I would feel comfortable selling. But if you're in Sun Valley, Idaho, you don't have to have the same, you know, concerns as, you know, when you're in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that that makes sense. But I mean, you never know who you're going to find in Arkansas. That's true. Because you know, a couple Waltons down there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh man, I saw. I was at Fort Worth one year when um, uh, one of the Walton family was walking down the street, and it was early. Oh, wow. The show had just opened up, and those in the know were kind of like, <laughs> you know, stiffening up. There, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god, there's more money than God just walked down the street, and this woman, her jewelry booth next to me. I was getting ready to tell her who it was. And she was like, the the lady comes in. It's like, seriously, the richest lady in America. You're like, here's my card. I'll be open in 10 minutes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're like, wah Yeah, she was super offended. You're like, yep, you just offended the richest lady in oh the world. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that's not even an exaggeration. Oh is it? The richest lady in the world. All right. Uh, so we've, uh, what do you, tell me, so you guys go on, um, like big kind of, do you do mostly auction or do you kind of pick in kind of things is, is American pickers kind of the bane of your existence for making your prices go sky high or, or how's, how's that looking? I think, yeah, I think more than anything, it has just convinced people at art shows that like finding the things that I build from is incredibly easy because they're like, oh, hmm. you know, I saw something old turn up in a barn on a TV show and it's, it's a very, you know, Finding a, a hay trolley from the 1920s is a very different endeavor than finding a, you know, a, a Victorian <laughs> harp scale or something along those lines. Right. So uh, when we first were starting, we, we found more in that kind of like picking avenue, stopping into different antique stores and stuff. But that was mostly just because, um, we hadn't honed in on quite so specific of a, a time period or a theme as I have now. Like everything that I deal right. in now falls in line where there was or in the time period that there was innovation in the way of early electric current. So the the bulbs, the sockets, the cord, everything that I add to the pieces in terms of hardware is historically a hundred percent historically in line with the time period of the objects that I build from. Um so it's a much more specific wow. time period of objects that we seek out and that you know kind of requires us to go to more notable auction houses in terms of finding really remarkable pieces and more than anything i'll take those pieces which you know maybe that's a uh you know a galileo era observation telescope a fifty thousand dollar telescope and we'll trade that to collectors that we deal in 
one $50,000 instrument that should obviously never be altered should stay as part of a, you know, a museum or some institutional collection. And I'll trade that $50,000 instrument for $25,000 instruments. And those $2,000 instruments, you know, there's something that is damaged or they're not salvageable mechanically. And I can alter them without, you know, having some sort of panic attack about destroying history. Interesting. So you do respect that that kind of thing. You 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 have uh, vendors or or people that deal in that kind of stuff that yeah. that you can call. Like you find stuff and your eyes light up and you're like, holy crap! Here's a they're asking four thousand dollars for this fifty thousand dollar thing, right? And you're kind of you're. So is that part of your business? Are you trading back behind the scenes it's with, all, with different things? Yeah, it's almost all trading at this point because <clears throat> you just you really can't find with how specific I am in terms of the objects that I seek out. They just I mean, they very, very rarely just surface that, you know, regional auction houses or, you know, estate sales or something along those lines. But the collectors that hold these things, like, and specifically, there's a, a braid surgeon in Arkansas that has the largest collection of early electric fans in the world. And it's more than 10,000 fans and none of them Good are Lord. duplicates. So yeah, know, he's, got, he's got two 1913 Emerson tank fans, but one was made in the Chicago factory ones made in the St. Louis factory. So like a guy like that, it's not like I can convince him to sell me things because he's got far more money than I do. But if I have an Edison electric fan that he doesn't have in his collection, I can convince him to trade me all of his duplicates in exchange for this one thing that he doesn't have. And we do that with, you know, collectors of every range of things, nautical collectors, you know, sextants and ship wheels and binnacles. And we do it with, you know, collectors of early telegraphy and microscopes and it basically just kind of goes across the board but that one auction house that we go to in terms of seeking these objects um despite the fact that we're spending astronomical amounts of money on individual pieces that's what gets us into the door in terms of trading with these collectors that we deal with more regularly yeah, I, 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 one, I think the first time that we really, I mean, we've, we've met and been neighbors and stuff, but, uh, the first time I spent any time with you guys, um, you had a big double booth in Cherry Creek and I think you'd had a great weekend. It was a great weekend there. And, um, I, you said something on the way out and you're like, well, uh, you know, you were kind of look kind of frazzled and you're like, yeah, I had a great weekend, but I just spent it like <laughs> you just spent it on, you know. Uh, just yeah. be like, well, I just reloaded, uh, that, that all went away. Yeah. And I'm like, God, that's, you know, it's almost like a jeweler buying gold, yeah. you know, or diamonds and, um, <laughs> the, the, the astronomical cost, like you said, of, of keeping your business going and Paige, yours is kind of, a. it almost seemed like, and it, it this does, I don't mean this in any way demeaning, but it's almost like a spinoff. He's taking that 18th century piece of equipment and it's like, okay, let's just use this. And there are very few people doing 10 type. I mean, there's very few people <laughs> shooting just in film, right. um, you know, whether it's it's um, Callie Hobgood or, or Kristen Shalachi and many other others that we know and respect. But you are shooting in like taking that kind of is it 18th century? It's is that 19th what we're, century? 19th. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> you're good. That's why you're here. <laughs> you're good. You're good. The 10 type method of photography was invented in 1853 in France, but it wasn't brought over to the States until 1856. So it was primarily used in the 1860s during the Civil War, and then it died out in the 1870s to the albumin print because with tintypes, they are technically direct positives, meaning there are no negatives in the sense that you can make duplicates from. So since they're on metal, there's no way of passing light through the image to make a 
um, print. And it wasn't very popular for that reason at that time. But today it's novel and this digital age that we're in where you can have endless editions of all these different types of things or, you know, AI is creating things and whatnot. Oh. It's pretty, sorry, yeah. that's a whole different tangent. That we can no, yeah, on. that's just, that's a huge hot button. Right. Like, yeah. Ugh, right. yeah. oh, Will just vomited in his own lap. That's why it's, that's awkward for the show. Uh, but yeah, that it, it is. I, but you you are creating these things as like I went into your booth and was blown away. I mean, you you are telling these elaborate, sensitive. I mean, I say elaborate that they're elaborately posed, but really thoughtful and sensitive stories and uh, within your work and that really are evocative. And thank you. Uh, you can't get another right. Like if I if I fall in love with a piece of yours, I've got to get it right. They're all singular um, editions. So um, yeah. I really like keeping it true to the process and that there are no duplicates of anything. So if you want something, this is all that I have. I will say, say I've gone to some location and I've staged an entire scene. I will take a few photos yeah. at that scene. However, different lighting, different chemical flares, the models have different movements, all these different things happen that contribute to each image looking entirely different from the next. But if there is an image that you look at and you think I have to have it, then that is the only one that better, I have. Right. You better right. get it. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's insane. Like I, I it, that there's an immediacy to your work, like, like a painter almost, you know, that doesn't duplicate or, or revisit, uh, compositions that there's an immediacy that if it's good, when it's gone, it's gone. It's um, good for you me. know, kind of Beth Pajorski. Too. I just get, yeah. I get really bored. Even say I've had an image for like five shows, which of course it, I've had images for longer than that, but of course. I get sick of looking at things. So I'll get tired of it myself. And then sometimes I'll come back to it and I'll really enjoy it again. But for me, it keeps me moving and keeps pushing me to create more work and to keep challenging myself. And I think that's been good to always be creating. That's something Nick and I were discussing before coming on the podcast was just our different creative processes. And I think something we have in common is that we both get really antsy if we're not doing something creative. That doesn't mean that we have to be right. constantly making our work, but we have different outlets that we like to express that creativity. And I really like to cook. Um, you know, a lot of what we do together also is restoring historic homes or historic buildings, and that's creative in its own right. So we both just always have to be constantly moving and working on different things or we just get anxious. So I guess that's a good thing yeah. that we're both workaholics. <laughs> Yeah, that is. I mean, you guys, you and uh, that's Susie and I like sitting around. That's <laughs> we don't make anything sitting. No, I'm kidding. We both. But no, I mean, we talk about that all the time about work and, and we as artists end up working so much more like we dictate our own hours. But Douglas and I were talking about that at the beginning of the show. But um, what that ends up being is is just working a lot harder than than even. Yeah, forty hour weeks. It's just your constant. Like forty hour week would be a vacation almost. Yeah, but. it's enjoyable yeah, work. I will say, but yeah. sometimes it would be nice to get away from it. You know, like definitely. Like this morning, I was making a doctor's appointment, and I was trying to do the scheduling, and I was like, "Well, let me 
look at my schedule and, and I had all these just tiny little things that you have to do, you know, like send invoice, right. call, check in or whatever it is. And I was like, oh, I can do it at this time. And she said, oh, that sounds nice to work for yourself. And I said, it is, but I also never stop <laughs> working. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's what that's. Oh, that's so nice. You get to work for yourself. It's like, well, yeah, I can go have lunch with you know, this person and just take a break and I don't have to ask anybody, but, um, right. Yeah. Then I'm going to work. Yeah. I'm behind and, or uh, I don't know, people don't end up respecting your time and, and that ends up being hard. Right. But, uh, okay. So when you're talking about when, when you guys work, you have to take these, I mean, how big is your camera? Um, well, like, what do you, what do you right work here, with? But how big is the size Mike I'm bad with? Like weight um, and so size. The, like your the camera. So pages is very, specific about only using historic equipment there are yeah. certain collodion artists that will adapt modern cameras with back plates that will allow them to shoot wet plate and then there are kind of the, the purists and page you know ones of falling in that camp so her, her actual equipment is original to the 19th century resulting in the camera being Probably right here. fifty pounds. You see it? Yeah. They, so the camera's probably <laughs> yeah, fifty pounds. Yeah, and and on kind of a tripod, it's like you know three or four feet right. tall. You know, so it's a pretty substantial piece of equipment. And you are like when you're pres doing those plates. I mean, I'm I'm seeing your work is not small. Well, I will say like, I shoot on eight by ten, and then the really okay. big pieces in my booth are enlargements of the plates. So. It's a gotcha. combination of historic method of photography with contemporary technology. I do an archival okay. film scan of the 8x10 plate and then make an enlargement cool. from that, um, which historically that would not have been possible. But because of today's sure. technology, we're able to do that. And then those are all still one out of one. And every enlargement comes with the plate it's enlarged from. So it's like me wow. giving you a negative, even though it's a, a direct positive, but you know, some photographers used yeah. to do that. So, you know, that I'm not making any copies of this image. That's incredible. Even though you have the ability to make copies right. of it. And that goes back to yeah. me just being sick of looking at my own work all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's something really admirable about that. And also kind of like mind boggling, to be honest, uh, just kind of like, oh my God, that's so much work. But then you get to put a certain price point on it. I would imagine that that can keep that lucrative and keep you in business too. Sure. But. I do think it all balances out. There are times where I think, wow, I could be making a lot more money if I offered prints just from people asking for them and or shows that are more print shows, you know, um, where that's yeah. what the buyer is after. But for me, I've learned that I actually kind of like the waiting game because I really enjoy having those connections with my clients and being able to talk to them and hear what they're bringing to the table, what they see in the image, which might not always be what I intended, but I really appreciate that. Um, and so I really appreciate having those interconnected conversations that are more thoughtful and enjoyable for me as a person. So I, I, I think I'd prefer to wait and sell it to that one person that I know really, really, really wants it. And right. that's just the way I've done it. And I am sticking to it. <laughs> Absolutely. It makes, there's a lot of integrity to it and it's a different game. It's a different uh, business model than a lot of folks have on the street. It's like, uh, like say a digital artist that enjoys selling multiple uh, pieces and needs the energy of selling boom, 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 or a photographer that, that has uh, a, a bin that, that has to sell, 
a number of those pieces and needs that energy within their own booth in order to keep going. I mean, I, I remember talking, I've, I've said this a bunch of times and quoted him a bunch of times, but Aaron Heckenberg talking about his booth and saying, well, I'm set up for big numbers. I have big pieces with big price tags. And sometimes those big numbers are, are round <laughs> and I walk away with that <laughs> zero, um, you know, and, then that's, it's, that's a, the business model. And sometimes you're like, oh my God, you, you must go to shows sometimes. And you're like, just not having the right conversations or you're in the, yeah, I will, it's, it's I tough. will say I, I think my work definitely attracts a specific kind of person. It is not something that the average person really enjoys. I do think the images are a little bit darker and can be mm -hmm. a little ethereal and just the subject matter. I mean, not to get too deep, but I guess I'll get deep because we're talking about art and that's kind yeah, of what art is. Please. But um, I started working on this specific series, the memory series that you've seen the last couple of years at these shows, because um, I lost my little brother whenever he was 16. And that was 10 years ago mm. this year. And so wow. this body of work was me really moving through that and, and learning to accept the idea. At least this is the way I see things that um, if somebody is not here anymore, that doesn't mean that you can forget. It's important to keep people in your memory and to remember the positive times that you had with them. So I wanted to create images that would evoke that feeling in others. And it's really interesting, the emotional responses I will get from people. I've had people cry in my booth and then I'm crying with them and yeah. it can be challenging, but ultimately it's the most rewarding because I want my work to make people feel something, even if they see the images and say, that's a ghost scary. I think any reaction is a good reaction, but I also appreciate the interactions where people are really connecting to the work in a deeper level. Yeah, I think a lot of people's instinct when somebody passes away is to not bring them up ever. And I think that's um, I, my wife has kind of taught me the opposite of that. And, and she's like, no, I'm somebody passes away. I want to talk about them. I want to uh, celebrate them. And I'm kind of like my my family always was. I mean, I I come from a really small family. I had five cousins and I, one of them died of testicular cancer at really young. And I mean, we were, I was in, I was in high school, but thank you. And they didn't, my parents didn't tell my sister, like that's the kind of family that, <laughs> you know, so we're getting together at, at the holidays and she was like, well, is Tommy coming over? And we're like, I just kind of looked at her like, you know, Tommy's dead. Like Tommy. <laughs> oh, my God. No, Tommy is not. So, yeah, it's it's some people's instinct varies, you know, steers towards the like, don't talk about right. it. Yeah. Whereas I think it's a lot healthier to, to get into. Get and into I things, think so. I was probably more inclined to not talk about things, maybe not to your yeah. uh, family's extent. Um, <laughs> nobody's to my family's level yeah. but i think that yeah i didn't really like talking about it and that was more of a defense mechanism because it was weird sometimes i could talk about it and be completely fine and then sometimes at the drop of a hat i would just be bawling crying and and i didn't mm. want to be doing that in public at that time and so working through this has allowed me to see the silver lining and and to get through it and be able to talk about those more challenging topics in a positive way. Yeah, that's amazing. And you've got to have pretty meaningful, memorable sales, like, cause you have to have these interactions with people that are so deeply personal. Well, whenever we were in 
Park City, I sold to a customer and it was the funniest interaction because I met him and I remember his sister-in-law who he was with and she came back the next day and she was like, he's still thinking about getting it. And I said, oh, okay. Is his name Tom? And she said, what? No, it's someone else thinking about getting it. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I must've mixed things up from the night before. And so she, this woman was a saint. She got on the phone, called him and made him pay over the phone. So oh my God. It, was, it was hilarious. But when we went to deliver it, I told Nick, I was like, I really am not quite sure who these people are because I obviously yeah. was interweaving my memories. And so we get there and I did not remember him, but uh, we stayed and we had the most wonderful conversation. So he told me he really loved the image because he grew up in Idaho on a farm and it was one of my cowboy mm. images and that the image just really reminded him of his father and then his wife grew up on a farm in Texas and the image really reminded her of her father. And I said, well, that's amazing because this is a photo of my father. <laughs> so it that's kind of awesome. full circle and it was a great experience to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is really incredible. I love, um, I, I feel like, I feel a little jaded now. I've been doing this body of work now for like 10 or 12 years and I am a little jaded. Whereas the first year of this body of work, I still remember every single customer that I sold to. I remember those personal interactions and now they're few and far between. I had one this past weekend at Plaza. I had done a Doc Holiday piece. Mm -hmm. So it's a portrait of Doc Holiday on this map that's been in my family for generations, the native territories of the West. So those maps were created to control the people that lived there. So it's kind of a mix between the dark history in the background and the, you know, what we love about the West and kind of our privilege of what we can then enjoy about the West with these legends. So real history versus the tall tales and lies versus storytelling and things like that. So that's that's the genesis behind that series. And so I'd done this piece and and I'm kind of down to the last bit of them, but I had Doc Holiday, and the quote is, there is no normal, there is just life. And this couple came in and the guy's like, holy shit, there it is. And I'm like, well, what's going on? And he was like, yeah, he just takes his credit card out. And he's like, yeah, that's the piece. I want that. Didn't ask anything that's about amazing. it. Just was like, yeah, let's wrap it up. And mm -hmm. so his wife is like, well, it comes with a story, but I don't, I don't want to bore you. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is what I do. I want to hear yeah. stories. Right. And it was like, it ended up being like, honestly, the most meaningful sale I've ever had in my entire career. Oh. So he lost his mom when he was really little. Uh, his father finds this woman, ends up being, you know, the the second love of his life and soulmate. Uh, they're going to get married later in the year. His son, who was in there buying the piece, and his wife are there. They're getting married. They're engaged. The wedding is the following week. His dad's fiance dies in a car crash two days before oh. the wedding. And they want to cancel the wedding, right? They're like, yeah. there's no fucking way. We can't do this. And his dad's like, nope, we're going to do it. Uh, we need joy. Uh, it's too serious. And so he gets up in front of this family and his father gives this toast. And he gives this long toast about why they're they're holding this wedding. And I'm going to I'm going to cry. But <laughs> sorry. Uh, his, his dad gets up and he ends the, the thing. He's like, as you know, my hero has always been Doc Holliday. And as Doc Holliday said, there is no normal. There is just life. And so his father passed away the day before Plaza started. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. And they they went to the show. 
they're like, I want to get something Western kind of to honor him, yeah. you know, to yeah. honor my dad. And it's like, he's, so that's why they, they walk in the booth and they're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Take it, take it home. I'm like, I'm like, God, it's a good thing. You just put your credit card out. Cause I probably just given it to yeah. you. Yeah. Just take it. You know, if he hadn't had any money, he's like, oh God, I just yeah. can't. So, I mean, we're all crying. I mean, it's, but it's that kind of personal thing. Yeah. Like, that's why we do it. And Plaza wasn't a very good show for me this year. It just kind of sucked. Yeah, it but wasn't for us I wouldn't either. have done it. Heard that. <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't, I would, if you'd have told me like my monetary value of the show and like what I would have done, like I had to do it. Right. I mean, that's why we're that's there. That's so important. Yeah. That is worth way more than any financial Everything. gain you can have. And I think that's what, motivates us to keep doing this ultimately is not the money because of course that's nice but it's those relationships that you cultivate with people and that you're helping give people something that's going to be a daily reminder of that interaction that they had at their wedding or just that whole situation you know yeah. they'll look at that and they'll think really happy things about that horrible time in their life and that's a pretty incredible thing to be able to help somebody to do it is well that's another thing that I really love about like Paige's work, you know, being entirely originals and, you know, other people that really focus on originals is because of that, you know, that, that kind of experience that you have remains between you and them, as opposed to like, if you have, you know, a thousand prints of said piece, it kind of dilutes that, like, you know, that experience that you have kind of passing along the artwork. I get to, to see. Right. You know, Paige have with, you know, the, the bigger pieces that she sells, you know, to, to those customers. Right. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's like that, that kind of deep personal storytelling that, um, we try to achieve. And sometimes like the thing, it's so funny because I was, uh, somebody had asked me about those portraits and I was like, eh, they're too specific. You know, our shows need non specific work. Mm -hmm. I need the very right person to buy it. Yeah. And, eh, I, I need to make that money. And it's like, well, if I didn't have that super specific storytelling, then that guy wouldn't have had that piece or he would have, you know, I don't know, we wouldn't have made that connection. So it's important to remember. Right. Um, yeah. So we're, we talked a little bit about family a little bit. Um, Mick, what's your family like? I mean, what what uh, I want to hear a little background on on. I've heard some funny stories before. But what's <laughs> what's your family like? And you guys, are, uh, to me, you're an incredible couple and you're, oh. you're like the perfect yin and yang. <laughs> Uh, and just supporting each other and, and um, like Mick, I was joking again on the kind of the preamble, like when Paige won best in show and all out best in show too. And they'd never given away a full park city best in show. And that, that went to Paige this year and uh, which didn't have your name on it. So Mick just took it and hung it in his pants. <laughs> well, that's what I told uh, Tara when she got it at, uh, when she had an award at, at Cherry Creek is I went up there and I said, like it breaks my heart that you got up in front of 200 people and mispronounced Mick Whitcomb. Accidentally <laughs> said Paige Whitcomb got an award. It was, it was terrible. It's just so deserved. I mean, you're, you're hitting this sweet spot in your work and it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's incredible, but I love the two of you guys together, but, um, let me, let me hear, you know, we'll get in the way back machine and hear a little bit about your background before we, we kind of, I like to hit that too. So it's just kind of fun. Well, you have, um, you met Colin, my younger brother. Your younger brother. Yeah. yeah. And I am certainly the the least wild of the the Whitcomb <laughs> men. So I don't know what, that what, that's true. Uh, <laughs> somebody <laughs> just called bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. We uh 
my uh, my older brother, he's a year older, so we kind of had like you know our upbringing together, and uh, and he went to the, the same school that I did uh, for college. We lived together in college and all that kind of stuff. So we had our thing, and then my younger brother and sister are ten and eleven years younger than me. So it was it was nice because I got you know to you know I kind of had a different role in their life than I had with my relationship with Jake, but I got to, you know, see everything from kind of a, a different perspective there. So I think that, you know, things are probably getting getting better with age. Chelsea and Colin find that they get in far less trouble than Jake and I did in, in our youth. So. <laughs> How old are they? What's the difference? Uh, Chelsea's 25 and Colin's 24 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah just real knucklehead stuff. sweet spot, yeah. right? Chelsea, uh, she, uh, she is a uh, crisis response something or another she 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 goes out on those mental health calls and prevents them from escalating so she's you know out doing really good things saving the world colin has a career in finance so he's doing really bad things but making a ton of money at it (laughs) (laughs) he's well financed anyway at least he can do whatever he likes yeah but colin will still come and which is probably you know how you've seen him and stuff but he'll still come and help us set up the shows and and you know hang out Whatever, get on the uh, the tinders of whatever oh cities we're on, and okay. probably has time to find. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I've known a couple of artists that hit that the the the, the fishing spots. Yeah, it's thank terrible. God that page I met when we did because I okay. haven't owned a computer since Douglas. college. Douglas. I would never. I'd never be <laughs> in the singles world. I'd be on the wrong <laughs> app, and I'd be uh, you know getting people with foot things, and okay. I don't know. Oh it just God. would never work. I'd be yeah completely lost as a single man. Yeah, I'm just saying that's why he's glad we're together because he couldn't navigate single life. Oh, I'm a terrible cook too. God, I'll kill him. I'll do it. (laughs) There's a good thing he's in. He's recording in the other room. I paid, but there aren't any doors. So our house that we live in now is a originally it was a boarding house. And so oh, it's wow. technically a five bedroom home, but the rooms are very tiny. And so we, we yeah. um, made it into a one bedroom home, which was brilliant. Um, yeah. So, anyways, this is technically always, always good for resale. Right. Uh, this is yeah. technically <laughs> one bedroom. And then the upstairs living room where Nick is is technically two bedrooms. And we opened up that wall, but we got rid of all the doors up here except for the bathroom and the closets because. I guess that's what we do. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Right. Yeah. No, it's that's very cool. It's like uh old boarding house. I mean, they talk about the history of that too, you know. Yeah. I mean, your both of your work kind of fits right into the that that's a that's a pretty amazing place to well, live. Well, it's nice because we both work in historic themes, but and so we like to work with each other and help each other, but there's never any competing overlap, I think. And yeah. honestly, when we first started doing both of our work at shows, we thought that mixed customers would love my work and my customers would love mixed work. And we have found it as the complete opposite. If somebody likes mixed work, they do not like my work and vice versa. It's very interesting. We've had a couple crossover, but not many. Right. That's really wild. We do have, yeah, uh, Susie and I have a couple of crossovers, but it's interesting to see the couples that both do glass where oh, I yeah. can see that could be really yeah. competitive and try to get into shows too. Mm-hmm. You kind of be like, oh, yeah, somebody, somebody down the hall got into the show, but I didn't. Yeah. yeah. We've right. had a few of those see conversations. That. 
Right. Yeah. Well, do you guys do, does that affect you if one person gets in and the other person doesn't that you don't want to go or do you just support each other? No, I, it doesn't. I mean, Mick definitely does more shows than I do because I yeah. stick to the originals only shows for the most part. And so that was already the organization of our circuit was that Mick's doing more right. shows. But I think, I mean, for the most part, we've been very lucky to get into the shows that we were hoping to get into at the same time. So that doesn't always nice. work out, but for the most part it has. And, and that works really well for us. Yeah. I thought the the first show that we had ever done to where it was just pages work and not mine as well. So like, I've never been able to assist in her selling process just because, you know, I'm always in my up. booth with, <laughs> or setting up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've always been in my booth. And so we were both doing jazz fest, but I was doing the second weekend and Paige was doing the first weekend. So, you know, I, I love, you know, kind of engaging, you know, with my customers and kind of getting into these storylines in terms of the, the, the objects that I build from and kind of the, the history of the objects and kind of tying it in with their interests. And I was stoked because I, you know, Paige has so much depth in all of her um, images and you know, I thought I could kind of get into you know these stories of the characters involved in her images, where they were shot, and all that other stuff. I suck <laughs> at selling tin types. My God, was it horrendous! I would be listening I to was... him, and I'd be behind him, oh. like waving my hands, oh. and like, "Don't! What are you doing? That's not! That's not right! <laughs> Don't up. say Don't... that!" Oh man, I would be mid conversation with somebody that was you know kind enough to show an interest, and I would just bail right in the middle of talking. <laughs> like I would get. Like three minutes in, and I just realized it. Like it was so bad that I was just humiliated, continuing forward, and I would just you know turn around and take off, and and Paige would have to step in and tell him what was actually happening. Well, I think what the problem <laughs> was is that we all have these same lines that we repeat over and over and over, where you almost become right. robotic in communicating with people. I have even yeah repeated myself saying the same thing to someone they're like yeah you just told us that i'm like okay this show's really long give me a break yeah oh well, i've i've said hi how are you folks doing to the same person oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know are these the people like, hey, how are you folks doing today it's great to see right. you uh they're like they just kind of look at me funny i'm like just said that didn't i they're <laughs> yeah. like yeah i do that all the time when people are coming to coming back to pick up the piece that they bought like <laughs> you know 11 minutes earlier and I'm like, guys, let me know if I can answer any questions for you. These are all blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, we uh, we just gave you $1,000 12 minutes ago. <laughs> all right, we're here to pick up our piece. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's fine. I really appreciate that sale. Never, right. Don't <laughs> ring a bell. So that's $1,000. Yeah, ta Paige is talking about, you know, crying with her customers okay. and these meaningful reactions. I can't even remember <laughs> the ones that I'm wrapping packages for. But I think at JazzFest, the issue was that Mick has never been with me in my booth, so he doesn't know those one-liners or the oversimplification of my process that makes it more palatable for the everyday person that's walking by. Right. And so Mick understands my process, like the chemical process, but that's been part of my challenge in doing these shows was finding a way to communicate what I do to people without overcomplicating it, because most people aren't yes. familiar with film, let alone a 19th century method of photography. So it was just a learning experience for both of us to be together with my work and, 
you know. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I, also, I mean, it's there's something about what we do for a living. You have to learn to read people and you have to learn to read that glaze over when you've told too much. Right. And you're like, oh. And it's funny to certain people, you'd be like, wow, you've already glazed over. That's, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't even, yeah. I, you know, I mean, then you just kind of fade out and you can just say whatever. Yeah. And they kind of like, say, so just do the thing. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Right. I can tell you don't, you don't care. So I just, I'll wait for you to, to respond. No big deal. Well, I go, so yeah. like, I, I forget to pay attention to other people's emotions in a conversation. Because <laughs> um, I'm mostly <laughs> concentrated on just myself. And, uh, I mean, the number of pages gives me shit about this all the time is like the number of people that have committed to buy something and then they give me the credit card. I'll be like, take their money, run the card. Well, yeah, they'll say, I want to buy this one because it's blue. And I'm like, you know what? That is a, a, an 1893 Kidder shock therapy device. And you're never going <laughs> to believe this, but Kidder was the first North American. It's blah, already blah, blah. sold. And like, just, yeah. And then, yeah. Run the card. Oh, Close get, it. Yeah, it'll be like another twenty-three minutes of me talking about nonsense, and then all of a sudden, like their their tables up at Chipotle, and, uh, <laughs> and they just sneak right on out of there. Like I have lost more money attempting to sell things that they wanted to buy than if I would. That's hilarious. Have just you know taken what was given to me. <laughs> it's definitely an art. See, Paige, he doesn't just uh, do that with your booze. He's doing it with himself. Right. Yeah, that's just who he is. We gotta love it. Yeah, I'm incapable of selling either of our artwork. <laughs> right. Just close it. Learn to say yes, Mick. Just say yes. Take it. Yeah. But have... you manage. You know, we we all kind of. I feel like you guys did a really good job. We've talked about this on the show with other folks, and um, you do a really good job of of looking like your work too like yeah. if people want to buy a piece of you you know they want to buy a piece of, of you guys and kind of take it home because it's like well you look like your work and you're selling your work and you're you know amicable uh, you know you guys are both pretty you know oh this God. is radio we can see that the wickhams are pretty folks so but does that ever get into a situation where you got to walk into the other person's booth and be like all right out just get the hell out of no. here just chase them off i don't know no usually it's my personality that drives them off so if, if there was something <laughs> to be in pretty and that's that, right. that doesn't make up for the things that come out of my mouth and um page is uh one of my favorite not... pastimes is making men who hit on me feel very uncomfortable so yeah that's a skill that She's I not, have. Yeah, Paige is not subtle. Just, <laughs> How do you um, do it? A lot of times if people say something that's offensive, I will just look at them and not say anything and just keep looking at them. And then people will just keep talking and I won't respond. I won't say anything. I just stand there. And then eventually what usually happens is somebody will say something nice and then be like, okay, well, thanks. And then leave. So I just literally... Don't say a word. Ooh, I got a good story for you. So we did have this come up one time, and this was uh, it was a while before COVID, but we were doing Ann Arbor, which is usually a gem in terms of you know oh really obnoxious conversations, and uh, and so we're doing Ann Arbor, and uh, old Betty Yeager <laughs> was uh, was doing the show as well, <laughs> and so we had it was an artist, it wasn't a, a patron at the show. And I certainly will not say who the artist was, but he was, he had said a couple of things to Paige that were very dismissive. And that was when she was helping me with my work, not Ooh. knowing that Paige is very obviously the good artist of no, the marriage. No, don't say that. So 
<laughs> no, I mean, but you, you're both accomplished. He's an accomplished right. artist. You can, yeah, yeah you're both. So hard, yeah. you don't talk shit about Paige in like the context of art shows because she's been very widely celebrated with her work. And so we go over and we're just hanging out, talking to, to right. Betty like you do. And, you know, we're talking shit about, um, you know, silly experiences at the show. I told her everything that happened. And <laughs> Betty said, let me go over there. And I said, no. She said, I want to meet this man. Well, Mick, you weren't with me at this point in time. And this is how I got myself in trouble because she said, let me go over there. And I said, no. And she goes, well, I want to say hi to Mick. And I said, oh, okay. Duh. And so we go over there and under the, she got me under the false pretense that she strictly wanted to speak go with Mick. And she makes a beeline to this man and she asked him if he said all the things that I told her he said. And he said, well, yeah. He called Paige a worker monkey yeah, he and she didn't a, appreciate that. Well, and that was on top of a bunch of other Ooh. just extremely sexist, gross things. Anyways, so she asked him if he said all those things and he yeah. talked to it. And I don't remember all that she said to him, but Betty is very good at explaining to people why they shouldn't have those behaviors. And at the end of it, she told him that if he didn't behave himself, she was going to bend him over her knee and scream. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this man was like 65. And, you know, Betty telling someone they're going to spank him. But she d- she, was, it wasn't even as courteous as that. She said, I will oh, bend yeah. you over my knee and I will spank your ass. It's like if you're just going to just put a little icing on the cake so then we had to finish that was a breakdown and we had to finish breaking down and i was like oh yeah. my god dude because i'd like make eye contact with him and i just didn't want to deal with him and after he was packed up he got in his car and he came over and i was like oh yeah. great here we go he's gonna say something and you know what he did he said here it comes you know your friend made a lot of really good points and i'm i'm sorry that i said those things to you i wasn't meaning to be that rude and i said oh well thank you apology accepted and then he left yeah super nice thing so yeah. i know always yeah. her friends back yeah boom <laughs> score another one for betty yeah absolutely she does if you she's in yeah. your corner man there's no more loyal friend i love yeah, her sure that's incredible Man, I love ending it on a story. Does that feel good to you guys? Mick, you good? You feel I feel great, man. I uh I poured myself a, a couple ounces of my favorite bourbon and Perfect. sat down to talk about Sasquatches with my boy. Oh my <laughs> um thanks for letting us push everything back. Mick finally went to the doctor and uh the good news is he does not think Mick needs surgery. So oh, thank God. So muscles yes, sure. or as opposed to spine he has or a double herniated disc. Oh, but that's that's good. He's he did some uh like some witch doctor Wiccan earth worshiper stuff. Pop my back. <laughs> okay. Did all of those oregano things. in your ear. And yeah, I <laughs> I I've got no love for chiropractors. I don't trust them. Okay. Um but you know at a certain point uh, like I, my my butt was pointing left and my shoulder was down and somebody had to straighten me out and I think he's you feel good. been successful in doing it. Cool. I don't feel good, but I, I'm straighter looking. Yeah. Like, I think people are getting kind of concerned for the shape of my body at a, looked like a certain the point. So I'm prettier. Uh, man, I hate that. Take care of yourself. Uh, get some help, you know? Right. Yeah. I do so many stupid things on a regular basis. It's just absolutely remarkable. Yeah. We're not, you know, 
You gotta, yeah. you gotta be in it for the long haul, right? It's take- yeah. The fact that I've survived uh, the ripe age of twenty eight is pretty astounding. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> More tall tales. All right. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for doing with this with me. I've been wanting to have you, you on for, for a while. And, yeah, Dude, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Love you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Well. See you guys. All right. See you, bro. What a great talk you guys had, Will. Thanks so much for sitting down with them and sharing their story. It's out of how it feels to just hang out and talk with those guys, minus the um, minus the beers and more. Maybe you know, maybe there were beers. I don't know. I'm not telling. Maybe. It's a it's Could a, it's a yeah. video. It's not a video. It's a what are you what do you say? Just a podcast. No one's writing us up, so do what we want. No, we're not cops. <laughs> we're not cops. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's always great to be able to talk to those guys, and it just it just feels like just a slice out of a, a friendship of conversation. It's nice to be able to ask them questions as opposed mm-hmm. to just hanging out and telling dumb stories, which is what it typically is with, with those friends. Cool. Well, uh, by the time this airs, we will be another year older. This is our birthday weekend coming up here as we record. I'm not taking one this year. No, nope, yeah, you're I skipping heard it. you said you were going to take one. I'm not going to take one. Oh, I'm just the family's gonna, got some stuff planned. So I, I think whether I like it or not, I'm going to have a birthday this weekend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys got going on? I got my shingles vaccine. That's what I had going on. You turn 50. Way to celebrate. Yeah, that's awesome. You get your shingles vaccine, which just is a good reminder of how old you are. <laughs> yeah. You get your AARP card too to go with it there, buddy. Is it 50 or is it 55? I don't pay attention to that stuff. I don't know. That goes in the you, garbage. You, yeah. Get, mm-hmm. get your discounts. You, All get, right. you take them. You can have mine too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how are you guys celebrating in any way uh, yeah, special? Yeah, we're or getting together with, with the fam and they're been some different discussions. You know, when you get to a certain age when the kids, you know, kind of take over the whole planning of things and you just get to show up. So that's kind of a fun feeling right there. Yeah. Oh, that is nice. That is nice. I'm going to go to a cross country meet and then we're going to go to brunch. And then I don't know. I don't really. There's not a big. uh, We'll we'll see. Yeah. I'm not planning anything, but Mm -hmm. we'll see what my wife has planned. And she always treats me very well. So it's she does really nice things. I mean, me personally, I'm like, it's 53. I don't really need a birthday. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine, but she'll do, she'll do something special, I'm sure, but Well, for um, those listeners out there who are new to the podcast and don't know what we're talking about, Will and I have birthdays one day apart, literally. His yes. his Saturday the 30th of September and I'm October 1st. So, when we found right. out that our birthdays were that close together, it was like kind of weird. It's especially since we're so similar. <laughs> well, our road mom said she knew all along. She always called us brothers, and I guess it's true. <laughs> God damn, it's crazy. Talking about old Beth Radke, we got to get we got to get her on. Give her something to look forward to at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, talk talk to a retired artist on the other side of the the um, the scales. There. You just said a bad um, word. She hates that word. Retired, retired is not in her vernacular. No, she's not oh. retired. Good. I'm glad I said it then. Say it louder. Say it loud and proud. Yeah, she's retired. She's got her feet up. Bringing Steve Beers. <laughs> Folks, I had a good time talking to y'all, but it's time to get back to work. I hope you have good luck in the um, getting ramped up on on uh, social media and, and getting worked up. This is always the time of year mm-hmm. when shows start to wane a little bit and everybody seems to start getting really nasty. Oh, the right. Social. They're so. itching for a fight. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And anything they can fight about. So um, check yourself. Get back in the studio. You find yourself uh, getting too worked up about it. It means you're looking at it too much. Absolutely. That's the sign. That's right. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, folks. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. 
This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. And while you're at it, find us on social media and engage in these conversations. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. Oh, and if you like the show, we'd love it if you would give us your five-star rating and offer up your most creative review on your podcast streaming service. See you next time.